Before we begin, a reminder that nothing on this podcast is intended as a statement of faith, doctrine, or fellowship, and this podcast is not affiliated with any church, school, or calling body. What's up, gents? My name is Charlie Ungemach, and you are listening to an episode of the Gird Up Broadcast. Now, the dudes are going to join me in just a minute, and we got a lot of great content coming your way. But before we do that, I just want to say thank you to all those who help support the Gird Up Project here. All of our content at Gird Up is available free to anyone anywhere in the world who might benefit from our message, and we want to keep it that way. But we also have to rely then upon the contributions of our listeners to do so. You'll never see any paywalls or exclusive content here at Gird Up. That being said, it does cost us money to put a show like this together. So if you find what we're doing here valuable and you enjoy the broadcast and you're willing and able to do so, please go to www.girdupministries.com, click on the menu, and select Buy Us a Cup of Coffee. That $5 donation goes a long way towards keeping this podcast going and helps us reach and minister to many more men just like you. Hope you enjoy the broadcast today. Let's get to it. One's the new twenty, I hear. It's yeah, the new twenty. Well, the new. What? How old are you guys? Uh, twenty. Twenty. Yeah. So wait, what? Twenty. You're no what? Yeah. No, you're not. Yeah, I am. Okay. Whatever. Twenty-two. Twenty-two. Okay, I was gonna yeah. Say. So 31's the new twenty-two because I'm just back in school like everybody else. Yep, yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go with that. All right. That sounds this good. is the Gird Up Podcast. This is a broadcast. My name is Charlie Ungamak. With me, as always, is Connor Herter and Bryce Guzzi. Awesome. And today in the fourth chair, we've got... Hey, I'm Nate Holtz. I'm a senior here at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. All right. Awesome. So if you're a senior, that means you just came back from Victor... Victory. Victory. Year. That's right. <laughs> Victor year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get called Victor an awful lot during, <laughs> Do you? during Victor year. So <laughs> Yeah, I was out in Reno, Nevada, so that was an awesome time. So everybody's calling you Victor? Oh, yeah. Constantly. <laughs> okay. So... Um, well, first of all, tell us a little about tell. Oh my goodness, it's gonna be a day. Tell <laughs> us a little bit about your vicar experience first. Yeah, so out in out in Reno, Nevada. So it's uh, it's way out there in the west. It's further west than most people realize, but <laughs> up in the up in the mountains, uh, high desert, and um, it's beautiful out there. But honestly, um, favorite thing about it out there was the people, and just got to make so many so many awesome connections. Uh, awesome. Get to get to share the gospel with a lot of people who maybe didn't have, weren't in the faith that long in their life. And so, um, yeah, bring, going through a Bible information class with, with the pastor and with people who are brand new to Christianity and seeing um, what the gospel meant to these people. We were hearing it for more or less the first time. was really awesome. What's, what's, oh, I was going to ask, what's the, uh, what's the population makeup there like? Is it, is it like, primarily like caucasian like what, what what is it um heavily hispanic as well okay. but uh yeah um no yeah. native american tribes around there or anything like that oh uh, there are but um reno in particular not it's not like in the backyard there so right they're a yeah. little further away but yeah in the vicinity sure so as far as like the faith demographics i don't know if that's the right word 
Um, but the faith makeup of the people out there, is it, do you find it's a lot of people coming out of like Mormonism and stuff, or is it people that don't have any faith background at all? So there are, there are a decent number of Mormons out there, but the fun fact about Reno is that it is the um, second most unchurched metropolitan area in the country behind wow. San Francisco Bay Area, and tons of people from the Bay Area are moving to Reno. Um, and so it really is just a religious in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, it's still America, so there's still a lot of, there's still a decent number of churches around, sure. but just the way people react to hearing that you're going to be a pastor, for example, is way different than um, Midwest or Southeast where I grew up. Um, it just is almost treated like, like that, that's pretty weird or that's like a foreign sure. thing. Whereas over here, it's, it's always like good for you. Yeah, exactly. You know, so does that open doors or does that shut doors generally, you think? Quite honestly, it doesn't shut doors the way I expected him to. It's more like, uh, that's your thing. I've got my thing. We can all respect each other, all that. Um, and so, yeah, the reaction wasn't quite as, um, as negative as I might've expected, but you know, you get a little, a little bit of everything wherever you go. So yeah, sure. here's the real question. How accurate is Reno 911? Uh, you've been <laughs> out there. You know, I've, I've only actually seen uh, one scene from that show <laughs> and it's the one where the guy gets pulled over for uh, like a DUI or something. Okay. And, yeah. Uh, you know, he, he starts dancing during the field sobriety. You, haven't, see, you haven't seen the new boot goofing? I haven't. Uh, it sounds familiar, but. Yeah, but he gets more, like new boots and he, on layover and he's dancing around. Genuine him. ostrich. Yeah. <laughs> more or less, uh, Reno 911 is the thing people always ask me about. And I, <laughs> what, from what I've heard, it's it's nothing. Uh, it's not that not that accurate. It wasn't even filmed there. So. Okay. But, <laughs> So as far as like uh, I mean the 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 I don't really know why I think this, but when I think Reno, my perception is it's a little bit of a wild town. Is that the case? A little bit, you know. So people often think Vegas and Reno hand in hand. Sure. Um, they are both huge casino gambling towns, but um, Vegas is you know big, flashy, and Reno is kind of like the the little brother to that. Um, where they do have all these casinos and stuff, but it's much less extravagant, I would say. Um, which, and I, I absolutely love Reno, but um, sometimes people like the the locals there and stuff will say like, "Oh, Reno, you know what's what's all that impressive about about this place?" Hmm. Um, but it's pretty cool. So, what is it that made you love it then? If it's not that impressive. Well, I mean, any direction you go from there, there's something amazing to do. So, uh, Lake Tahoe is 45 minute drive from Reno, and it is like the most spectacular, beautiful place I've ever been in my life. Really? Um, it's just so, so awesome. And then 10-minute um, drive from my church, you're in California, Northern California, which is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go east, you're, you're in the desert, which um, Nevadans are very, uh, they like to explore. And so there's always like, there's always stuff you can go do out in the desert. There's beautiful rock formations and all this stuff. So, I mean... If you're somebody who likes adventure and outdoors, that's that's a, an amazing place to live. There's got to be a lot of like rock climbing and that kind of stuff out there as well, right? Yeah, well, yeah. People are big into. Did you get that to do well. any of that while you? Were I out did there? a little bit of it. Okay. Um, you know the the bouldering, not the not the vertical sure. uh, <laughs> climbing, but you got a pair of, of uh, climbing shoes. No, I didn't get that. Didn't didn't get that hardcore into it. What, what size shoe do you wear? Like 11, 11 and a half. Uh, I might have to help you out because I'm, I'm 260 pounds. I'm never going to climb again <laughs> in my life. But, yeah, I do have a pair. There was a girl. She was cute, and she liked climbing. So uh, now I have a harness and shoes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Anyway, uh, a couple of things before we get started here. Well, first of all, welcome, Nate. Thanks. Glad Thanks to have you here. Um, before we get started, you might hear a little squeaking in the background if you've got your uh, volume turned up all the way. Um, our heater is going to town today. It's actually like hotter than it needs to be. So, um, yeah, new problems. I don't know. There really isn't a solution yet besides uh, opening up the windows. So pardon the the noise of the heater in the background if you got it turned up in the car or something like that. Um, and then we've got two corrections from last week uh, before we do thank yous and shout outs. So the first was, um, I don't remember, I think what Bryce said that Henry the Eighth was the one who killed all of his wives. I was and that the one. Oh, you were the yeah, one that said that? that said yeah, and I corrected you. Um, I was right about the question. I was wrong about Henry VIII. Okay. okay. I, I thought it so was Henry VIII. So Henry VIII is Thank the you. one that established his own church and killed all his wives Thank and you. all that Whoever kind of stuff, right? Thank you. justified that. Thank you. Um, and then Henry V is the one that gave the awesome speech at Agincourt. So Henry V is the hero. Henry VIII is, I guess you well, he's the he's the he's the very very complicated figure who established the right. the Anglican Church. I the still, other oh, go ahead. I still won last week though, right? Yes, yeah, Bryce still won last, last yeah. week. He's the reigning champ, the only person ever to win on the show because yeah. before it was a team effort, and yeah. then he went his own way <laughs> and got it right, so he wins. All right, so now it's now it's now it's a free for all. Here we go. Uh, the other one was, oh, Ayn Rand. So last week our quote was Ayn Rand, and I did not know who Ayn Rand was, so i got to turn my microphone down. Uh, but I did not know who Ayn Rand was. I just saw that it was the name from the quote, so I wrote it down and off we went. I thought it was a dude. Apparently it's a woman, and she's the author of Atlas Shrugged. Oh, really? Um, yeah, she was born in Russia. Her actual name is Alice O'Connor. So when she came to the States, apparently she married an Irish guy. Um, but her, yeah, her pen name was Ayn Rand. And I thought this was fun. She graduated from Leningrad State University. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. <laughs> it just blew my mind that there's such a thing out there as Leningrad State. But, yeah, so <laughs> apologies to the late... Ran let's just for help. misgendering her. Does that does that automatically make it into had, our top three? I had three a guy after choir at the like after choir at the seminary like two days ago. I had a guy walk up to me and go, "I think you had a misgendering issue on the last podcast." I was like, <laughs> "Misgendering?" Because I was thinking like, "Well, there's four dudes in here. Like, what are you talking about?" And he goes, "I'm pretty sure Ayn Rand was a woman." And I thought about, I was like, "Oh, you might be right about that." Yeah, so. Apologies to Ayn Rand and Henry VIII. We didn't mean to offend you. It would be a bad thing to to offend Henry VIII, I think, just generally speaking. Yeah. No, it doesn't matter not, anymore. No, not anymore. He's not, not really a threat. He I wouldn't suppose. be offended. He wouldn't be offended? No, I don't by being think so. Misgen- well, no, by being called... Oh, Henry V is pretty awesome. He's kind of named after him, so... Okay, anyway, thank you for some shout-outs this week. Who are we going to shout-out? All right, this week I've got uh, two shout-outs, actually. Uh, shout out number one goes to my parents who are celebrating, who had celebrated their 46th anniversary together, uh, this past Sunday. So thank you mom and dad for sticking together through all those years and dealing with me as a last minute surprise when they were 40. Um, (laughs) and my second is in the same vein. It is, uh, a shout out to my girlfriend who, uh, formerly the, I haven't done it in a while. Calm down. (laughs) Uh, the formerly blue-haired liberal that uh, everyone made fun of me for, but uh, <laughs> uh, this weekend we're going to be celebrating one year together. So yeah, hey, hey. looking forward. We to can it. celebrate that. We can celebrate that. What you got, Bryce? I'm going to shout out classmate Jacob Schwark. Uh, him and I, after lunch, we went to the library, and we were doing a 
bibliography for church history together because we have the same church father, Gregory of Nanzanias. And he showed me how to use this really cool app called Zotero. And okay. it does like your bibliographies, citations, everything in all in the form whatever format you want. And it is really cool. Yeah, so thank for, you. What format do we have to put that in again? SBL, which is I think Society Biblical Literature or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. What you got, Holtz? I guess I should probably shout out the people who are allowing me to be here right now. So that would be, that'd be <laughs> my wife, go. Emily. Well, we got married in June, and so she's uh, being very patient with me, allowing me to, to dip out and come record a podcast. And it's also uh, it's also my professors that are going to accept my, my homework late tonight. Uh, they, don't, they don't know that yet, but they're, they're going to be okay with it. So thanks, uh, thanks Dean Otto, and thanks, Professor, Professor Mitchell, for going along with it. There we go. I dig it. Uh, mine's going to be Poshmark. Um, I, I keep bu- trying to buy blazers and stuff online, and they never, ever fit. Like, I'm kind of an odd-shaped dude anyway, I guess. P- apparently, <laughs> compared to the rest of the human race, I'm shaped weird. Um, and so I've been trying to find stuff at, like, uh, thrift shops and things like that, but none of that. Like, it's always either really beat up or, like, super 80s. You know, there's really – I'll find something good. What's wrong with the while. 80s? Um, just, I, I hate the, how low the buttons are on the blazers. Mm. Uh-huh. Like I, there, there was one that fit me really well. I gave it to, I gave it to Parker Brown. So if you see him wearing it, shout him out. But, uh, <laughs> like it was so the button on the front of the blazer was so low that you could see my entire belt buckle when the blazer was buttoned. Ooh. Yeah. That's how low the front button was on the blazer. Like that's about as eighties as it gets. Yeah. Right. Um, anyway, so Poshmark. Uh, is it's like it's basically like a resale shop except on an app, or it's kind of like the eBay of clothes. I don't really know how to describe it, but I bought like three blazers and they all fit great, um, both because the vendors on there like really do a good job generally of making sure that everything's the right size and all that kind of stuff. But then on top of that, um, like the really high quality stuff, better quality than I would have been buying if I was buying something brand new. Like the one I that got delivered today is Brooks Brothers, and it fits phenomenally well. It looks really good. It was what I was looking for, and I paid I think twenty seven bucks for it, as opposed to three hundred some dollars right, for a brand right. new one. Mm-hmm. Now it's a couple of years old, but it's in great shape and it looks good. So um, as the as the seasons start to change here and we get into the colder months, I needed some tweed. And uh, Poshmark hooked me up with Tweed. So that is not a paid advertisement no. either. It's just I like ask, the yeah. app. No, we're not sponsored. <laughs> we're, we, we're we, uh, hey, well. Nate Hensler, if you want to sponsor us again, man, it's beard season. You send us some beard oil. But uh, other than that, no, no we don't have we'll any take sponsors. It. We'll take it. Yeah. But that's a good segue because we need to shout out uh, John from Minneapolis. He donated a cup of coffee this week. Um, we call it a cup of coffee donation because for the price of a cup of coffee, you can help support the ministry we're doing here with young men. If you'd like to support or help fund the work that we do here at Gird Up, go to www.girdup.com, select buy us a cup of coffee in the main menu, and make your donation there. Of course, we'll include links down in the show notes below. Our manly Thanks, quote of the week this week. <laughs> you got to love John. <laughs> okay. Uh, manly quote of the week this week. And again, so two weeks in a row, it's a woman. It's Deanna this time, Deanna Rayburn. Uh, She says, what virtue is there in a man who demonstrates goodness because he has been bred to it? It is a habit from youth. But a man who has known unkindness and want for him to be unkind and 
Nope. For him to be kind and charitable to those who have been the cause of his misfortunes, that is a virtuous man. That's a typo on my on my side of things. I'll fix that. Um, but, first of all, um, it, it, it makes me think about St. Patrick. Um, are you guys familiar with the story of St. Patrick at all? Vaguely. Um, snakes. I mean, yeah, like he drew all, drove all the snakes and stuff out of Ireland. But do you know any of his childhood story? No, so he when he was a kid, I want to say like twelve years old or fourteen year old, years old or something. He was um, captured by marauders on the Norman coast and taken back to Ireland and was a slave in Ireland for years, um, where he like literally was attending pigs. It was like left out in the middle of winter, all that kind of stuff. He was a slave in Ireland and then escaped, came back, became you know a bishop, and then decided to go back to Ireland and minister to the people. Who had enslaved him, which I think that's probably like the highest level of love I can think of. You know, well, except for Jesus, but you know, I don't know. I I, I can't imagine myself being enslaved for a decade and then being like, you know, I'm going to go back and be a missionary there. That would be that would be a rough thing, I think, yeah, for be, me. Yeah. Um, but it's that selflessness, right? And that's I feel like that's what Deanna here is talking about is that kind of love, um, like is. It's a lot harder to love somebody that's hurt you than it is somebody that hasn't, right? Um, but what's your takeaways here? First of all, we'll eventually decide if we agree with it or not. I think we probably do. Yeah. Um, yeah. What you got? I want to hear everybody else's takes before I uh, I go because I, I might be controversial. Be... Yeah, no, we no, love no. some controversial breaks. Um, I guess right off the bat, my first thought is in reading this on both sides of her argument, I would say that people are definitely a product of the environment that they're raised in. But that doesn't mean you can't break the mold at some point. I mean, I, I took some more positivity from the first half of what she was saying in that basically like being a kind person is easy when it's a normal habit of yours. And I think this is going to speak more to what we talked about in our, in our discussion on the book later tonight. But, um, yeah, and so just the value of good Christian parenting and how uh, teaching children from a young age those qualities is a good thing. But I also thought, too, that how many times in my life have I encountered people who have some of the roughest upbringings and have some real horror stories when it comes to being mistreated or, in general, just not being raised or living in a, in a positive environment, and they end up being some of the nicest people that I know and I think that speaks to overcoming your past and moving forward and like I said earlier breaking the mold yeah absolutely I uh you just reminded me of something as you're talking there um I often say that I I am kind of like you mentioned I'm incredibly spoiled in this regard that Mm -hmm. I just had incredible parents incredible um role models of of Christian Christian love Christian family growing up um and so I I'm always so blown away by the people that that didn't have that and yet um, surpass me by far in the For way sure. that they're able yeah. to show love to other people. Um, but yeah, it just reminded me of a, a quote I read from actually a guy that we that I'm guessing all of us had in class at Martin Luther College, uh, Professor Nass. Mm. Yeah. Um, I took his his elective on the Book of Joel when I was in college, and he promised us all a copy of that book. Um, he he wrote the the Concordia commentary on that book. He promised us all a copy of his commentary when it came out 
finally came out. We had been wondering for years if we were going to get this copy, right, right. but it finally came out. He, he gave us a copy when we were up at Homecoming this past weekend. Um, I'm not going to pretend that I've read it yet, but I did read the, the introduction and the acknowledgments and all that, and he just mentioned, kind of like what we've talked about a little bit, that he had such strong Christian parents. He had a, a mother especially, he mentioned, who just cared so much about making sure her boys grew up mm-hmm. knowing the Lord, um, knowing Jesus and what he's done for them. Um, and so he just says, I've, I've tried to do everything that I can for the Lord in my life because I, I understand that to whom much is given, much is going to be expected. Mm. And I just thought that was, that was a really um, awesome way of, of putting that into perspective, that he, he knows that um, something that people might overlook, um, his upbringing, he knows that that was just an incredible blessing that he got and right. he wants to give back yeah. um, to, to God's people because of that blessing. I love that you guys saw that because I didn't. That didn't even cross my mind, um, as as like part of the context here. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So I appreciate that. Um, but I, I, I'm going to lean a little bit more on the, on the opposite side again, right? Sure. So first, I brought up uh, St. Patrick and that difficulty. Right? I, the what was the the scripture that was kind of in my mind on this one was, um, uh, I mean, the idea of one who's been forgiven much. You know, loves much, and we're all familiar with the parable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that idea of the highs and lows being related, now, like so, the parable itself doesn't directly relate, but the idea of highs and lows being related, and you know, the lower your lows are, right, the greater your highs can be coming out of that. Right? So you think about what um, you think about somebody that, for example, makes it the NBA or the NFL or whatever it might be, right? Um, when it's you know one of the Manning boys or um, when it's you know somebody whose father played in the NFL or whatever it might be, sure, it's still a big accomplishment. It's a big deal. It's very exciting. It's very fun. When it's a kid that was like living on the street at 15 years old, flunked out of high school, you know, has a sob story. That's that's a bad way to say that. I, I shouldn't say it so negatively, but has a has a difficult story, and by the grit of their teeth, right, finally makes it on that level. That level of joy, that level of excitement about finally having made it is going to be so much bigger than the guy who's, you know, dad played in the NFL, sure. who had everything he needed and he had a trainer when he was 14 and so on and so forth. That that level of joy is going to be so much greater because the sacrifices and the work that it took to get there is so much greater too, right? And we can apply that same idea to love, right? The more difficult my circumstances have been, the more hardship I've undergone, the more hatred I've been shown, you get the picture, the greater my capacity on the back end to shower that love on other people too. Um, and, and I don't by any means want to diminish anybody that's lived a blessed and easy life because I feel like I have also, sure. just like you guys said. Um, and I don't want to shame anybody that hasn't like left the bubble because you don't need to, right? Um, you don't need to do that. But I do think there also is value in the idea of recognizing if you haven't necessarily undergone a lot of hardship and going and seeking it out, seeking it out right? And that's not saying I'm going to go put myself in positions where I'm going to get beat up or something like that, um, phys- literally or metaphorically. Um, but what I would say is it's a good thing to seek out challenges. And when you seek those challenges and go through some hardships, then you do understand hardship better. Sure. Right? They had a whole idea of we do hard things so that hard things get easier. That also can be applied to our, for lack of a better phrase, our love life, whatever love you might be referring to. Right. Um, so 
it's certainly, I think, even if you have, it would be easy to despair and be like, well, I had wonderful parents. You know, I, I guess there's just a level of love or a level of whatever it might be that will never be unlocked for me. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily the truth either. And maybe I'm the only one that thinks that way. But that's not necessarily true either. Like, go do hard things. Go do difficult things. Um, put yourself in positions that are challenging. You do start to understand what hardship looks like. Yeah, and I think, like, and to, to more apply to what we're doing here, that's one of the reasons why I really appreciate Vicar Year. Because, in theory, a lot of guys can go the majority of their educational process here from kindergarten all the way up to middle or year of seminary without ever experiencing the real world outside of what we lovingly called the Wells bubble. And then you finally get out there and you finally get to sit down with real people and be like, Oh, this is a lot different than everything I've grown up with here in the Midwest. Or this is a lot different than everything. And then I was also thinking about, you were talking about like an NBA player who has had to go through adversity in order to get to work. Think about the guys that we have here and how we applaud the individuals that go through the public school system and then still are at this level of education. I mean, that is something to be celebrated, too. People who haven't had the nurturing environment of the Wells education system that we do have and yet still manage to, through grit and determination and God's grace, have made it to this point. I mean, that's that's something to celebrate as well. And academically, they, they tend to be oh, some of the always, best of yeah, us. Like Calvin, like Calvin, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Let's Before you get controversial, I want to say, uh, no, go ahead. Go be controversial. Okay, okay, here we go. Let's open <laughs> the can of worms. So the way that she stated that first phrase, it just sort of it caught my ear a little bit because she sort of says, like, what virtue is there? As if there's no virtue at all. Okay, even if they were raised on that virtue from their parents they're not going to maintain that virtue just because, oh, it's my habit. Like if, if they don't, if they're not virtuous in and of themselves, they're not going to keep those habits going. They're going to grow out of them eventually. And they're going to say, oh, like, I don't need to listen to that. I don't need to do this. I don't need to be a good person, Mm. but it's those virtues that are motivating them to keep that habit. Second thing, um, talks about the men, women who have gone through more hardships. And I'm not denying that people go through more or less hardships. I'm not denying that. But everybody struggles with something at any given time. And people go through things that no one else could understand because they're not living their life. So to say that these people went through so much, you don't know what this person went through, even if he was raised with a nice family. Like you don't you don't know the things he could have he or she could have gone through. And it's I feel like it's just making judgments that's not that's just looking from the outside when you don't know the whole story. It's cr- I don't plan these out very well, I'll be yeah. honest. It's amazing <laughs> that we're talking about virtue. Maybe it's just because it's always on our minds. It's just always these seem to fit together so well. But we're gonna talk about virtue in a little bit. Um but the way that Carrie in the book defines virtue, and I think it kind of shifted the way I think about virtue, is that virtue itself is the habit, right? Virtue is the habit of doing what's right, right? And so with that in mind, here's this is my pushback, right? With that in mind, (laughs) um, I'm narrating. (laughs) With that in mind, if the habit 
um, I mean, a habit by definition is, well, this is a circular definition, but it's habitual, right? It's going to happen over and over and over again. It's automatic. It's my knee-jerk reaction. It's not even a cognitive, you know, function. It's just something that I'm doing. That habit, when it's built, will continue. I think that's what she's saying. And how much greater is the virtue of someone who hasn't had that ingrained in them from childhood demonstrating that virtue? And that would be whether or not it looks outward or not. So I get mm-hmm. what you're saying. But even if I don't see from the outside looking in that you went through difficulty and hardship as a kid, what I it doesn't change the... the uh, impressive nature of that virtue that you display i won't disagree with you though bryce i do agree that everybody is going through something at different points in their life so i see i definitely see the value and and see your standpoint on that so i won't i won't push back on that too much but thank you well i'm just pushing back for the sure for sure sure. i think you make valid points i think yeah i don't know i just curious what do you what do you have to say well just like that very first point i made uh, when she says, what virtue is there? Yeah. Makes it sound like there's none whatsoever. Sure. It sounds very degrading to those people who are like, oh, like I've had good parents who've raised me into this. And then when you talked about that habit builds and it forms and it stays, that's not always true either because some of my old friends have some of the greatest parents ever. And... They eventually, when they got into their teen years, or when they started growing up, they were raised on these virtues, but they didn't keep them going at all. And that's just not just from a Christian standpoint, that's just from a secular, moral worldview. And even when you look at it from a Christian standpoint, too, they did not uphold to the, the habits that they grew up with. Now, what makes them, why is it that they fall away, do you think? Like, why are they, why are they letting these things go? What else can I say except sin and temptation from the devil? So here's a question. Go for it. Were these innate virtues, or were these only behaviors that they were exhibiting um, because they had outside motivations? Some more like some more like a parrot repeating. Yeah, the had, like it's the opposite to... of in, internal, like intrinsic motivation, right? Exactly. So now here's my pushback to you. So did they ever have the virtue to begin with is what I'm asking. Exactly. But our lady here, what's her name? Deanna? Deanna is making it sound like all the people who were raised with parents who taught their kids virtue stay in that habit. And that's not true at all. Because they, the individual themselves need to instill that virtue inside themselves. Okay. So here's my final pushback. Oh, here <laughs> you can jump in here, Nate, if you want. Uh, here's my final pushback, right? Um, one of my, one of my, actually, it was a terrible book, but the only one of the only things I pulled out of it, I don't remember which book it was, but it was a book about, it was a book about like uh, sexuality and things like that. And one of the things that he was saying was that we need to stop pretending we have virtue where we don't. And the example that he used is. Like a young man who's never had a girlfriend who then walks around um, parading the fact that he's remained a virgin. 
right? So you've never been in a position where the sin was an option, mm-hmm. and yet you strut around and declare from the rooftops how virtuous you are because you have not committed such a sin, right? That's where I kind of saw her going here. What do you have to say to that? That was a very poorly phrased question. So, what do you got to so, say to that, man? <laughs> so you're saying because these kids who are raised by these parents don't have the opportunity to break away, don't. Is that is that kind of what you're saying? No, I'm saying how much... Or is it not more virtuous for someone who is... Um, is it... Okay, so... Imagine that, like, you grew up in a in a world where, like, a certain sin is just accepted, right? Everybody okay. does it. Everybody's doing it. Nobody's condemning it, and you know it's wrong, so you choose not to do it. Is that not more virtuous than growing up in a setting where that sin is condemned? Nobody's doing it, so. All right, well, I'll just keep going with sex since I brought it up, right? So in a in in a worldly society, right? In the society we live in, frankly, it's it's like a rite of passage to just start having sex, right? Mm-hmm. And if you you know went to public school, so on and so forth, and you um, walked the whole way, had relationships all the way along, started dating in high school, went all the way along, having relationships the whole time, and chose to be virtuous the entire time, is that virtue not greater than the guy who never had a girlfriend and like never dated, never had a girlfriend, never even kissed a girl. And then also was in a setting where none of the young women either a were attracted to him or B um, would have engaged with in such activity with him. Anyway, does not that guy have greater virtue than, or does not the guy who resisted temptation have greater virtue than the guy that doesn't, that didn't. Yeah, in that very specific situation, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would say I would agree with you, yes. All right. Okay, so here's the question. Is do you have anything to add? No, I think no? I, I think it's a fair parallel that you're making. I don't know if is I don't know if Bryce's role is to be the, the antagonist or what, but um He brings it out himself. Yeah, he, he likes does, it. Yeah. He enjoys it. Yeah. Well I think all three of us enjoy being antagonists, so somebody's gotta do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well here's just, the question is is this a useful piece of advice. Is this a is this a certified manly quote of the week or not? No, no. And just say one more time why you think so. Because it makes it it makes the person who grew up with nice parents sound like they can't be virtuous at all. And I don't agree with that. And I will stick by that. I don't disagree with you at all, Connor. What do you think? I agree with you in the sense that what you're saying there, uh, especially in in respect to people who do grow up in a, in a positive atmosphere. But I think there is value in what this individual says in this quote, because again, from personal experience and just having met people who have struggled with things in their life, or again, celebrating people like Calvin who went to a public school and still managed to remain faithful to their faith. We're really bashing public schools oh, today. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> this is not supposed to be a personal opinion matter on uh, public education in America. but Some are okay. Some are okay, yeah. for sure. Um, but, yeah, I, I do see value in this quote because, yes, I agree, she does paint the brush a little too broadly when it comes to what she says about individuals who do have a positive influence in their life. 
but I also think it's worth celebrating those individuals who managed to overcome difficult situations in life and still remain virtuous. Yeah, I think it's I think it's got something worthwhile to say. I think it's a hyperbole to make a point a little bit. I don't think if you were to really press her, she would say, "Well, those people who grew up with a a nice upbringing, who were were taught you know good morals from day one, that they they have nothing to bring to the table in this conversation." But I think she's just really looking to draw attention to the like like Connor was saying the the level of appreciation we ought to have for people who did not have that advantage. Um, and yet, yeah, it'd be really something interesting to dive into, wouldn't it? To to one to find out how those people um, come to that point. Sure. Um, but I, I think we have to say, you know, those success stories, like you were talking about, um, that they, they always they always do make a step back and go, wow, that is impressive. Uh, I I truly wonder if I was in their shoes, if I would have turned out the same way. Um, yeah. So I I think I think it's a a good point she's making, even if it even if it makes us a little offended here and there, that's all right. So can we agree that she just because I agreed with what you said? So can we just agree that she needs to reword that first part? That's what I was gonna say. Is I, I would re, she could say it better, but I love what she's saying. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Can you get down with that? <sighs> <laughs> okay, we'll I'm, okay, I'm okay. I'm okay with her offending me. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this week we're going through chapter 7 of um, Philip Carey's book, Good News for Anxious Christians. As always, I'm going to leave a, a link down to that book, or a link to that book on Amazon down in the show notes below. If you'd like to read it along with us, you are more than welcome to do so, even encouraged to do so. This week's chapter, chapter 7, is why you don't have to keep getting transformed all the time. Um, now, Bryce, you mentioned that you weren't quite following... Um, necessarily where he was going with this or putting all the pieces together um he talks quite a bit about virtue in this chapter right yeah um and so the leadoff question i think we where we should start maybe to help people listening also can understand what's going on here is that carrie um carrie launches right away into consumerism right and the idea Mm -hmm. that consumerism is a um well that it has a great effect on our spiritual lives so i would start with that question how do you guys see consumerism affecting our spiritual lives? When he was talking about it, I think that, uh, like, I understood the point that he was making, but it was difficult for me to relate to the point largely because of the church body we have grown up in inside the wells and how strictly we adhere to for lack of a better word it's called tradition or something like that the idea that we're going to hold on to these truths to these doctrines and not be shaken by uh, the fleeting desires of the world's spiritual hunger whatever you might call it well so do you think so you're saying you don't think the consumerism of our culture really has played oh no i'd say in general for the majority of people it does because i feel like People view religion now as like shopping that they go out and they'll say this week I'm going to try to be a Mormon this this month I'm going to try to be a Catholic this month, you know And so they'll go through these different phases in their lives where they're trying all these different things But from my own point of view, it was difficult to look past my Lutheran my Luth- my through my Lutheran glasses and see Myself in that situation, but I can totally understand how a majority of people out there might struggle with this 
Yeah, and I think even within our church body, I think every church body deals with this, um, where you you're you're wanting more people coming in. You're wanting to to have something um, that feels relevant and important to their mm-hmm. lives. That's gonna get them in the door, um, and so it can be tempting. And where the line is, you know, it's very gray. You have no idea where, when you're crossing the line. You have to be very um, attentive to these things. But you you can find yourself wanting to be in that boat too. Of what can I do to to make my church more appealing? Um, what can I do? Ultimately, you fall into wondering what can I do to make the gospel a little bit more appealing to people. Sure. Um, and so I, it, he really worded these things in a way that I had not thought about them before in terms of consumerism. And it's probably because we are just immersed in consumerism yeah. that I kind of didn't even recognize it. Um, but yeah, just, just the whole concept of we live in a culture and a society that always wants something new or you get told that you better always have something new. And the reality is the... Christian faith is just antithetical to that in every way that we are going to we are going to hold on to the one solid thing that is the same yesterday today and forever um and so to to be able to recognize yeah we exist within a setting and a culture that's very valuable um but also to stay true to to who we are and what the Christian church is all about um and try to balance those things yeah, I, I, I like Connor. You basically just said, I mean, without using the verbiage, you basically said, "Hey, let Christ alone." Yeah, right? pretty much. Yeah. Like that's that's the mic drop on it, right? Yeah, is we don't need anything more than Christ alone. We should, we ought not need anything more than Christ alone. This is who we are as Lutherans. This is, I mean, this is what Orthodox Christianity looks like. Um, but what that consumerism uh, is doing is basically telling me all the time, "Hey, you know, you need like there's something." But they're they're identifying a need. It's advertising. Yeah. They're develop. They're identifying a need in you and then presenting the solution, right? So you watch a really good commercial about shoes. What they're doing is demonstrating to you that your shoes aren't cutting it, mm-hmm. whether because they don't look good enough or you they don't, don't make play. you run fast. Yeah, they don't make you run faster, <laughs> jump higher. Right? They don't have wheels in them. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I do have some PF. You buy any Heelys? Not yet. You Still didn't. finding the right pair. Would you? Would you? Would you? Would you be in for? Uh, buying a pair of Heelys and then having a Heely Friday at the seminary. Seminary Heely Day. You know, I always, as a kid, I always always looked at the kids that had them and went, oh man, they are living the dream right now. (laughs) So I know I never, I've never even had a pair on my That's that advertising. Uh, You got to tell them your idea. Okay, so I pictured, this is such a recurring theme on the podcast and I don't like it, but my idea was to take a pair of dress shoes and put Heelys, like put wheels in them and you call them Salvation Skaters. You definitely and you can you can, can healy around yeah. like in your alb and everything. Yep, like around in front of the church. <laughs> I think it'd be so funny. Hey, now that would be something new. Yeah, that would get people so in new. the doors. Skip the praise band. Let's go right well, to the salvation skaters. My pastor wears healies while he's preaching. Yeah. Well, he literally floats across the, the stage. Speaking of consumerism in church <laughs> and getting people indoors. Exactly. Exactly. That's the problem. Uh, I, the one thing that. Carrie talked about in this chapter the most, I think at least, the recurring theme was this idea of a life-changing experience. You're mm-hmm. always looking for the next one. You're always trying to reach and grab the next one, next one, next one. And when he talks about churches and this life-changing experience, he kind of says that a lot of these churches will try to do something flashy and do something new, get people in the doors, 
whatever it is. It could be maybe just becoming more modern or better music, rock bands. Not saying that it's wrong to have a band in church. Guitars are wrong. No, 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 no. Drums are wrong. No, but (laughs) his point was the life-changing experience in church is not the go there, feel good, be happy, have this wonderful time. It's the habitual going, receiving the word, being in the habit of receiving the word every week, and that over time will change your life because you're going there to hear the hope that you have for eternal life. And that is your life-changing experience. Not the not the physical church, but the message of the church, message of the cross. I like the way he tied it with marriage, too, where he was talking about the idea of, like, which love is greater, the six months into marriage love, right, where there's still pet love and all that kind of stuff, or the 50 years into yeah. marriage love, which love is greater, right? And there's you, you don't want to diminish the amount of love you have, like, that a young couple has for each other in, you know, the first couple of years that they're married. But that, like, infatuation and, you know, I, you want to speak to this newly married guy? Oh, no. You know, I'm. how could I compare? I'm only I'm only four months in. I only know one side of the equation. It's an intense so, love, yeah. though, right? Yeah. 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 Good. Like he said, he, uh, he, 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 he ranked it, right? He, ra- he ranked it in the book, and he said... Um, he said that the feeling of falling in love is is incredible. It's almost as good as chocolate, and it's almost as good as listening to music. Yeah. But then he said the the feeling of being married and committed to somebody, um, having that love that spans decades, that's that's far and away better than anything else that you could par- compare yeah. it to. But I just yeah. thought it was funny. He said, no, music and chocolate, they're still a little bit better than that feeling of falling in love. Yeah. Wow, I, well, that like ecstatic, that ecstatic moment like, where you can't sleep for the first couple of days, or just yeah. like that, I, it does feel good, and then eventually you're like, man, I I can't live like this anymore. I, I like the uh, uh, the analogy he uses when he talks about that when you're falling in love, how like it's like you're picturing your love life as this nice tranquil pond, and then when you actually fall in love with somebody, like it's somebody throwing a boulder into the middle of it, and it's that big commotion that big splash that big moment where you're like this is fantastic this is really exciting good things are happening but then when you're 25 years into the marriage like a good loving marriage is like a constant those constant ripples where there will be some kind of maybe slower moments if that's what you kind of calmer moments and that stuff with littler waves of excitement but it doesn't matter because it's consistent and it's always happening well, I, I didn't think about this till right now, but in the Four Loves, C.S. Lewis talks about the same idea that infatuation stage. Like, imagine if that lasted for fifty years of marriage. Oh, it would be exhausting, right? It would, not, it would be exhausting if it lasted for two weeks. Yeah, no you know kidding. what I mean? Like, it, it wouldn't be good for your health. It wouldn't be good for your heart. It wouldn't be good for anything. You wouldn't get any work done. You wouldn't make any money. Like, there'd be so many issues, um, and and so. Uh, the more valuable love that we're talking about, the virtue of love, right? The habit you're forming over time is making the choice every day. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is how I'm going to live. This is how I'm going to go about things. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were about to say something. Oh, I, I could, yeah. I. <laughs> well, again, throughout the whole chapter, it was sort of this idea, no matter what he brought up, he talked about the, the worldview is to keep progressing. It's... Oh, if I have this job, I have to keep reaching. I have to keep reaching for the higher position. If it's in marriage, he talked about marriage and divorce and saying, oh, like, okay, I've had my time with this wife. Now I got to reach for the next one and sort of move on, like get something new. And that's sort of the whole worldview of today. It's how can I upgrade? 
like okay this was fun for a while how do i move on but i think the biggest point is the worldview is don't settle for anything but it's not settling you're just being content you're being content with what you have with what you're giving with the blessings god has given you and that is completely opposite the worldview but that leads to a pretty good life i think yeah to that to that point he had a quote that i just just loved this quote um again this is totally counter to what we're what we're encouraged to think in the world um but he said this is one of the most prominent features of a good life which consumerist religion makes it almost impossible for us to see once we have been made once we have become new creatures in christ or bind ourselves in marriage or start to raise children the important thing is not how to change our lives, but how not to change. Finding that, finding that constancy, he really just says, is, is kind of the, the thing that nobody thinks they want, but is what we, what we all need. And that's where, that's where that true contentment and joy comes from. I just thought that was really uh, a profound way of explaining that. Yeah. And that's a life-changing experience. Mm-hmm. It is. A lifetime <laughs> A life-changing, a life-changing experience over a lifetime, right? Yep. Um, this might be a little bit of a reach, but I was thinking about Genesis chapter three, right? You're in the perfection of Eden. The Adam and Eve are in the perfection of Eden. Everything is like literally perfect. Mm, and I the devil, the devil is he's an the ultimate salesman, right? Yeah. He comes up with with a need. He says, you know, you, there is something more that you could experience you could experience good and evil right so he creates a problem and sets himself up as the only solution to that problem right and that's that i mean that's the that's the temptation of consumerism is there's a problem that i have i'm expected to have this problem and now there's a solution presented to me and it's the only thing that can fix my problem right and even if i don't have like we were talking about in in that that long-term marriage Things are actually going well. Things are good. Um, you know, there's always something to work on, but things are okay. Same thing with families and kids and things like that. What the what the uh, consumerist world is constantly doing is selling us a new product. What the devil's doing is working on our minds in the same way um, to convince us that we need something more than what we have, trying to destroy the good thing that we do have. Right? Yeah. Awesome. Um, I think the the last the the la- I just I wanted to talk about this a little bit. So start it, throw it in a little bit awkwardly here. But he also mentioned the idea that it's okay to be ordinary, right? No, oh, yeah. You don't yeah. have to be extraordinary. It's totally okay to be ordinary, which I think also is a little bit of the sales pitch. You think about Instagram. I mean, you can't post ordinary things on Instagram. <laughs> Nobody's gonna like them. Nobody's like, gonna like, pay hey, attention. Like, hey, I went to pick apples today. Yeah, but he picked a good one. <laughs> sure picked a good one. That was an extraordinary thing, though. You know, I don't know. It was extraordinary. I don't know how often no, you go picking of, apples, but that uh, was extraordinary. Yeah. If you're jealous, um, just let me know. I just wanted yeah. to go pick apples. I just wanted go. to make fun of Connor. Boy, why are you coming at me? I didn't say that. <laughs> because you're the one that started this whole <laughs> roasting scheme. Okay, but you're not going to post like, hey, did my laundry today. I right. mean, there are actually people there that, are people that uh, somehow make a living posting on Instagram about how they make them. But they're few and far between, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I we we don't have to live extraordinary lives where every day is super exciting. And in fact, I think the most the people that live the most extraordinary lives generally are people that are just doing the ordinary things really, really, really well. Yeah. And either they have some 
extraordinary talent that they're not really responsible for, or they have some extraordinary situation that they're born into or given or whatever it might be, um, which enables them to do these extraordinary things. But they would not have those opportunities if they weren't gen. This is very, very painting with a very, very broad brush. But generally, you're not going to have those opportunities to do those things unless you're doing the ordinary things well. Like uh, Elon Musk is all over the news right now, right? He's a good example mm-hmm. of somebody that does the ordinary things really, really, really well, and that means he gets to do or- extraordinary things too. Yeah. He also has an extraordinary mind. I don't have an extraordinary mind. It doesn't matter how well I do the ordinary things. I'm never going to be Elon Musk, right? But it's okay to be ordinary. Like an ordinary life is a pretty wonderful, blessed life too. Yeah, awesome. All right, Bible trivia this week. Bryce, you going to win again? Oh, uh, why not? Let's go two and zero or back to back. All right, we got four questions. Bryce won last week. We'll see who wins this week. First question is going to come from early church fathers. Second question. Um, not so early church fathers. Third question from the Bible, and the fourth question from pop culture. Here we go. First question. In the year 405, this man finished his Latin translation of the Bible, which became the official Bible of the Catholic Church at the Council of Trent. Was it A, Tertullian, Tertullian, whatever. Was it B, Cyprian? Was it C, Jerome? Or D, Augustine? How do, we do, how do we do this? Um, you come to a consensus. If somebody disagrees, then they're off on their own. Yeah, I'm going to say C. Jerome. Confident it's C. Yeah, I think it's Jerome. Jerome. I was also going to say Jerome. That so. is correct. It was Jerome. Bryce. So everybody's one for one. No, I was. Okay, sure everybody's one for one. Oh, come on. <laughs> I've been Bryce paying attention on the bandwagon. That's all. All right. Question number two. John Wycliffe was a seminary professor at Oxford University and a cock. Wow. And a Catholic dissenter in the 13th century. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Most notably, he denied the Lord's real presence in communion. What did the Catholic Church? Stop, Bryce. You got to get together, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. John Wycliffe was a seminary professor at Oxford University. He was also a Catholic dissident in the 13th century. Um, most notably denying the real presence in communion. What did the Catholic Church do with his bones 40 years Ooh. after his death? Ooh. Did they A, finally took them off display and buried them, B, dug them up, burned them, and threw them in the river, or C, dug them up and moved them to an unmarked grave? What was the years on this again? 13th century. Stop looking it up, Connor. No. Oh. <laughs> um, what was option B again? Dug him up, burned or dug them up, burned them, and threw them in the river. I'm gonna say B. No, that seems like some 13th century shenanigans. You know, in in Dean Otto's uh, today in church history, he just talked about Wycliffe yesterday, but he didn't tell us what they did with his body, so wow. I don't know the answer. So here's the options again: A is they finally took him down off display and buried them. B dug them up, burned them, and threw them in a river. Or C dug them up, and moved them to an unmarked grave. I hope it's B. That's the most exciting I'm, one. I'm going to go with C. 
Bryce doesn't look like you're going to win this week, brother. Oh, it no. is B. Uh-huh. It seems it like, B. like I said, so the 13th century rules shenanigans. Here. Yep, so 13th century shenanigans is right. I respect, can't even say shenanigans. Respect the pettiness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is some serious pettiness, yeah. All right, question number three. Which Old Testament prophet was ordered by God to strip off his clothing and sandals and preach naked for three years as a warning sign to Israel's oppressors? Is it A, Isaiah, B, Ezekiel, C, Elijah, or D, Haggai? I'm going to say... I I feel like it's got to be Haggai. That's what I was going to say, too. Yeah. Either Haggai or Ezekiel, for sure. Haggai. I feel like the other ones would have stood out more in regular study, and Haggai's not one that we really go over that much, so that's my gut. So what are we going with here? Well, I know Ezekiel had to do some pretty crazy stuff. Yeah. Like he had to sit on, lay on his side for a long time. Yeah, a little and, miniature city, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I can't... If you guys both think it's D, I'll give, you my, can dissent, I'll but, give my stamp of approval. Yeah. Are we going with D? I'll go with Ezekiel. They can go with Haggai. I'm 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 sticking with my original one. Then. What's I'm your original? With, I'm sticking with Ezekiel. Then. All right, I'll go Haggai then. I'll stick Haggai. It's Isaiah. No what? Way. It's what, Isaiah. What chapter? Really? Uh, yeah, no kidding. Hey Siri, in what <laughs> chapter does <laughs> Isaiah go around naked? Hey Siri, in what chapter does Isaiah go around naked? I found this on the web. Isaiah chapter twenty. Okay. Really? So the semester we got. 40 to 66 so we'll uh, next acceptable yeah yeah so my question has always been it it doesn't tell us my question is it tells him to take off his sackcloth right because he was wearing sackcloth and putting ashes on his head before this and uh my question has always been like he's probably wearing a loincloth or something right i would assume now in hebrew culture that still would qualify as naked it would still be shameful um but is he actually naked or is he just walking around in loincloth? But it says specifically take off your sackcloth and take off your sandals. I don't know the answer to that. I don't think we I don't think anybody has an answer. It would just be a guess, but yeah. Hard for me to answer when I have never heard of this. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, so Bryce, you've got two wrong. You two fellas, you've got one wrong. Question number four. We'll see how much you've been paying attention to Christian pop culture. Here we go. This televangelist and leader of North Point Ministries in Atlanta, Georgia, Mm. has recently come into controversy for his failure to condemn homosexuality, transgenderism, and the LGBTQ plus movement. North Point Ministries in Atlanta, Georgia. Is it A, Tim Keller? Is it B, Francis Chan? Is it C, Stephen Furtick, or D, Andy Stanley? Oh, it's D. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I agree with them. I just, I literally just watched part of this sermon, this controversial uh, sh- sermon of his the other day. So okay. Pretty yeah. confident on this. Which one? one? Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley. Yep, I agree with okay. him. Okay. You, you just said Stephen Furtick, though. You're gonna. No, I said waffle. D. I you agree. said D. Oh, yeah. it is. Okay, I got you. Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley. It is. Yep. Andy nice. Stanley. So. Nobody wins. Well, you guys beat... Well, Bryce loses, nobody wins. Okay, Let's go that's with that. Fair. I like that. Bryce loses, nobody wins, because nobody got three of them right. Well, you guys got... We got three right. Did you? Yeah. You guys didn't get two wrong? No, we only got, right. we only got one wrong. All right. Fair enough. All right, you guys can be winners as long as Bryce is a loser. That's fair. You're a loser, Bryce. I'll bounce back next week. <laughs> awesome. All right, teams we hate the most this week. Top three. 
top three teams we hate the most. And I didn't qualify this with anything. So it could be any sport, anything. Really, it could be anything at all. I actually thought about um, making it the Russians in Miracle on Ice. Oh, I did think about that. I thought about that, but I was like, no, we're not going to. No, I, I went with real teams. But there, that was not a requirement. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to start it off with the Minnesota Vikings. You're going to put that out there. They are the worst like the most obnoxious fans and the most like I just I grew up in lacrosse as a Packer fan, right? So right on the Mississippi River, as a Packer fan, half the city was Packer fans, half the city was Viking fans. I now am kind of like from the area where they all hate the Bears. I still will never I refuse to wear purple most of the time. Like I have a dress shirt that has some purple in it. I don't have any other purple article of clothing even. I will not wear purple. I hate the Vikings. I oh my goodness. And watching Adrian Peterson just ruin every Packers season every year of my entire childhood. <laughs> I hate it. He was a good he was good at what he did though. He was excellent at what he did. Everything he did. He got himself in some trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. What's your number one? So we're or doing. We're all doing number one and going. Yeah. Right, well, or, right, or, or either way, just yeah. okay. your first one. So I don't. I don't know if you guys even know what my sports sports allegiances are. I don't know. It sounds like it's gonna be the Vikings. Are you a Vikings fan? So I am a Vikings fan. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I uh, grew up in Tennessee, but my parents are from Minnesota. But so all my sports allegiances are either Minnesota or Tennessee. So that will be reflected in all of my. Least favorite team. He's about to say the Packers. But, uh, oh, it's not even close. The Packers are far and away the sports team that I hate more than any other. I had them on my it list is, for a little it bit. It is too. not even. I hate these. I hate a lot of sports teams. Like, you, I'm, a, I'm a good person to get talking about sports teams I hate, but Packers are easy number one. You know, I, I think my favorite. I mean, I, I even say this as a Packer fan. A Bears fan told me once that uh, Packer fans are the most obnoxious fans in all of sports, not because they you know they 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 behave in a certain way or they're ridiculous or whatever. And he even owned like yeah, Bear fans do that. Packer fans are the most annoying fans in sports because they're not football fans. They just love the Packers. They don't know hey, anything about hey, football. Hey hey hey! Don't talk about my mom like that. <laughs> <laughs> are you kidding me? The disrespect. <laughs> They 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 don't they don't know anything about football, but just love the Packers and hate anybody else besides the Packers. And I understand why that would be annoying. Um um, hold on, my mother, she's <laughs> no listen 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 bus. listen. She sees a flag on the field and she'll tell you what it is before the ref even says it. So don't say they know nothing about football because that's uh, first not true. of all it was a Bears fan saying it, not me. You, Second, um. It's not all Packer fans. You just generalized the entire fan. Packer I community. I know more than what's going on. Oh my gosh. Anyway. <laughs> so yeah, uh, my turn. Uh, my number one, two, and three were Ohio State University. <laughs> I cannot stand Ohio State University, the evil empire. Uh, but uh, so I'll, I'm going to leave that for my number one. For my number three, I'm going to say the Colorado Avalanche because I'm a Red Wings mm-hmm. fan. It hasn't been a good couple of years for us, but I've always hated the Avalanche, even though I'm not a super, super big Red Wings fan. But, yeah, the Avalanche. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my number three is the New Orleans Saints. Mm. Who that? 
That's what they say. That's what their fans say is who dad. Oh, yeah. They're dumb. <laughs> uh, they have just been a pain in the butt the last however long I can remember with Drew Brees and all that. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I am a Atlanta Falcons fan. So it's pretty cool. And I hate the Saints. So Give us some reasons. Why do you hate the Saints so much? Like, Ohio State's obvious. Yeah. What's the, uh, why do you hate the? Drew Brees. Okay. <laughs> I love Drew Brees. How can you hate Drew Brees? Because he was really good. <laughs> <laughs> and he's okay, in our division. Adrian Peterson's not a good dude, so it's easy to hate him. Drew Brees is the best dude there is. No. He had a scar on his head. It was kind of ugly. <laughs> it was a birthmark. It was kind of ugly. Oh. It was a birthmark. <laughs> oh, okay. Hey, Drew Brees, complicit in Bounty Gate. Yes. Coming at Brett Favre, trying to trying to kill Brett Favre, and breaking oh. my little 10-year-old heart when the Vikings lost. 100%. <laughs> okay, but Brett this... Favre was already a traitor, so he might as well <laughs> have ended his career right there. Anyway, can I... Basically did. It's just the Saints, dude. They suck. The Panthers are no threat. The Buccaneers are falling apart. I don't really care about them. It's always the Saints. It's always the Saints. All right. All right. I like Derek Carr. No. No, no, no. Got a Kiro tattoo on his wrist. You don't... How can you not like Derek Carr? You don't like Drew Brees or Derek Carr? No. I... Okay, here's the thing. I like football players based on how they play and nothing else okay Derek Carr is a given the right opportunity is a phenomenal quarterback well apparently he wasn't given the right opportunity all season so Uh, yeah I would agree with that I would say I don't know I didn't pay as much attention last year as I should have but I don't know all right well my number two is the LA Lakers Ooh. Um, I as much I, I do I, I mean I had a Kobe Bryant and a Shaquille O'Neal poster on my wall as a kid, but especially in the last few years, like first of all, the bubble championship does not count. They should take that banner down or give them like a half size banner or something. It should not count. That absolutely should not count for LeBron in the uh, like anybody that makes an argument about how many rings LeBron has. Just subtract one because that one doesn't count. I hate it. They are all talk and no play. And it is the most obnoxious team in sports at the moment is the L.A. Lakers. I hate it so much. I hate it so much. And then on top of that, you add to the personalities who are all like, oh, now I'm getting into dangerous territory. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I wholeheartedly believe that athletes can be and should be more than just athletes, right? They're, the whole shut up and dribble thing, I'm 100% in your corner. But then you have to actually be like well-spoken and educated and knowledgeable about what you're talking about. And the Lakers as a group just don't seem to get that, and it drives me up the wall. On top of that, they don't win. Like If you're going to talk that much, you at least better win. And they don't. And I, nope, I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm absolutely here for some Lakers hate, um, but I don't I don't care enough about the NBA to have uh, an NBA <laughs> team in my top three. Um, but I did once make a 64-team bracket of all the teams I hate the most in sports, and then I realized it doesn't really do anything to make a bracket just for yourself because you're just gonna just gonna be chalked <laughs> the whole way. So. 
Um, but my number two. That's amazing. My number two has got to be, since I'm a Minnesota Twins fan in baseball, the team I hate the most is the New York Yankees. Mm. Uh, for a lot of reasons, really. Um, but the biggest reason is that as a kid growing up watching the Twins, the Yankees would end our playoff dreams every single year. And if you've been paying attention to baseball news lately, the Twins just broke what was the longest playoff losing streak in North American sports history. They lost 18 straight playoff games. They just won like a week ago. But nice. they lost 18 straight and like 15 of those were to the Yankees. So, And it's the Yankees. They're America's team. Everybody loves them. Yeah, and yeah, therefore, yeah. I hate them. That's fair. See, everybody outside the United States loves them. It seems like not as many people in the United States love them. But maybe that's just my Midwestern boy uh, upbringing. I don't know. Redeeming quality, though. They had Tony Kubek, who I don't know if you guys yeah. know who that is. But well, I know Tony. Yeah, Wells guy who won Rookie of the Year for the New York Yankees when he played with Mickey Mantle and uh, yeah. Roger Maris and all these guys. I actually, I have a Tony Kubek story, oh, really? right? So he's, yeah, he's a Wells guy. He also then was a broadcast for the Yankees for forever, yep. right? Yep. And uh, my somebody I know very well was at their house playing um, Trivial Pursuit. And they had like a special rule where you could phone a friend and all that. Like they had fun family rules, you know, like house rules. And uh, Tony Kubek draws a sports trivia card, and he can't remember the answer. And so they're sitting there in the living room, and he goes, "You know what? I'll call Bob." And he calls up Bob Costas on the phone <laughs> and asks him the question. And he and Bob Costas work together to get the question right for Trivial Pursuit. She's like, <laughs> "I, you know what? I would pay to be in that room." It's amazing. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. The other thing is, uh, you can't you can't beat Lou Gehrig on any on any level, like for any reason. Yep. And Pride of the Yankees is one of the best sports movies ever made. That does not redeem the Yankees from being awful, though. Yeah. All right, what you got, Connor? All right, my number two is a little bit more personal. Ohio uh, State. <laughs> well, yes, again, number two, Ohio State. But besides Ohio Please State, say a high school team. It is. It is yeah. going to be a high school to, team. I was gonna, I was thinking about saying yeah. Racine Lutheran, but I didn't. Go uh, ahead. I am going to say Ithaca. Now, when I was at MLS, Ithaca was the team. Like, they were on, like, by the time I got to my senior year, they were in, like, a 40-game winning streak. Like, they had won state championship multiple times. They had investors that put millions of dollars toward their field, which ended up having, like, stadium seating and, like, the high school equivalent of a Jumbotron in it. We hated them. Hated them. Still hate them. And I every time I drive by that town which I do relatively regularly, like it's almost it's almost too hard not to spit out the window because I hate that town so much. But yeah, Ithaca. I guess my number two, which very well could have been number one, is Alabama Crimson Tide mm, football. Yeah. Or LSU or Auburn or... <laughs> You're just going to name the entire SEC? Wait, why don't you hate yeah. Tennessee, man? You should really hate Tennessee. Please. We're, we're good. Please. Oh. Please act like we're relevant. <laughs> I, I don't mind Tennessee because uh, they're not a threat. <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, Alabama has just been sort of back and forth. Nick Saban is a great, great coach, super talented. And so I'm just glad that uh, the Georgia Bulldogs have been able to put him in his place the last couple of years and continuing for the next couple of years. It's going to be nice. Kirby's no slouch himself. Oh, no, he is. Yeah. He's doing great. And a great name, Kirby. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not quite it. as good as uh, uh, Dabo, but 
as far as the name goes. Coaching yeah. probably better, but Dabo Dabo's a great name. Jimbo is a good name too. There's some great names in college football right now. Not every uh, not every coach says that we're gonna we're gonna build our program in the name, image, and likeness of God. That was a Dabo Sweeney quote from this past year. Really? That was cool. well. <laughs> I don't know if it's cool or if he's just nuts, but uh, it's something. <laughs> it could be. Oh, it's a little bit of both. It could be yeah. cool and nuts yeah, at the same that's right. time. That's right. You can be yeah. cool and nuts. Have you seen like their their like the locker room videos, like of like the locker room tours and stuff? Like every staircase, there's a well, maybe not every staircase, but on the main staircases, they have a slide right next to it, and you like slide down, and they've got this phenomenal locker room and weight room and all that kind of. It's worth looking up. It's mind blowing. Do you think D one football teams have money? Oh, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> A couple dollars. Well, maybe. after LSU won the national championship a few years ago, there were it was like a trend online to take pictures of stuff on the LSU campus and then compare it with the locker sure. room. It was like the library where there's like water dripping through the ceiling every rainstorm, <laughs> and then it was a picture of the locker room and like the dorms and a picture of the locker room. Yeah. All right. I was okay. I'm going to change mine because Connor gave me permission here. Um, the uh, I was going to say the Minnesota Gophers because I don't like PJ Fleck, but I don't really have a real hatred for him. Kind of like what you were saying about Tennessee is they're not really. Every once in a while they they beat somebody or whatever, but really they're just kind of around. They're just kind of the bottom feeders of the Big Ten. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get something out of you. The parallel, I'm going to get something out of you. Oh, I don't care about the Gophers. I don't care about no, the Gophers. I was, I was, that, was, that was mostly a speech. Oh, mostly, a, mostly a Tennessee yeah. jab. Okay, yeah. anyway, um, so I'm going to go through seeing Lutheran High School. Okay. I, oh my, they had a kid named Eric Ortel when I was in high school. If you're listening right now, please <laughs> feel free to right donate first, uh, first, first of all, first of all, this isn't personal. I just hated hearing your name on the Jumbotron over, or not the Jumbotron, over the public address system over and over and over again. I think he went to South Dakota State, I'm pretty sure, but he just ran all over us, like yep. sophomore, junior, and senior years. Yep. Insanity. And uh, oh my goodness. And they also wear purple and gold. One more reason to hate purple. And the purple and I mean, all the three of my teams are purple and gold. Wow. Like it's just the ugliest, the ugliest color combination. On top of that, on top of that, they're Missouri Synod. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Could be worse. Could be worse. Could, be worse. could it? Could it really? <laughs> could be ELS. Yeah. Do they have? High- <laughs> oh gosh, dude! <laughs> I'm don't... just joking. I'm joking. Remember, there's a I'm reason joking. we put a disclaimer at the yeah, front of the episodes. Sure. For sure, that was a joke. Bryce I is the reason. Let... Bryce is the reason. If that wasn't <laughs> pretty clear. much, yeah. Bryce comes with anything I say after ten o'clock does Bryce, not count. Bryce just comes with his own disclaimer. We should we should make a Bryce. Oh, disclaimer. we definitely should. Oh man. Okay, go ahead. All right, my number three, which does not mean I don't hate them. I hate them with a burning passion. The Kentucky Wildcats basketball team. That was uh, oh my goodness, runner up. They are just deplorable. And this one, you know, Packers. They're at least a respectable organization. I can admit that. And their fans, despite being obnoxious, are good down-to-earth people uh the yankees you know say what you want to say but they're a they're a legacy organization with a lot of awesome history kentucky's history is just full of scumbags left and right and john calipari sucks and i mean their arena is named after a famous racist and yeah i just kentucky basketball the worst compared with tennessee basketball our coach is just the we're talking about virtue tonight. I mean, yeah. Rick Barnes, he is just a picture of virtue. And so, uh, you got guys like, got guys like, got guys like Grant Williams, just a model citizen. So 
You should be a Tennessee basketball fan, and you should hate Kentucky. That's my. That's I my agree story. about the Kentucky part. <laughs> I agree about the Kentucky. Part. All right. I don't even know if I need to say it, but it's 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 Ohio State. No, well, tell <laughs> us why do you hate Ohio State? The rivalry between Michigan and Ohio State goes back to before. Yeah. Okay. Question. Go ahead, Bryce. Is it because Ohio State keeps beating Michigan? Uh, the record would show the last two years that we have spanked them. And the I'll, last two years or the last 40? Oh, we don't want to go into the depth here. But, <laughs> but Case in the, point. the rivalry goes back to before football existed. It goes back to the state of Michigan and the state of Ohio getting in a war over the Toledo Strip. Granted, we granted we lost that war, but we got the UP out of it, and the fact that Wisconsin hasn't done anything about that tells me everything I know about Wisconsinites. But what does that mean? What does that mean? But, I really don't know what that means. I think he wants war over the UP. <laughs> oh, Wisconsin would they win, hundred percent, dude. But regardless, uh, okay, you know all those jokes about like what would happen if the if the U.S. got invaded, and then like. You know, basically the rednecks would unite and then off they'd go. That would probably be true of Michigan during if it was a Michigan versus Wisconsin war. I'm I think I'm with Connor on this one. Michigan yeah. you would think, beat Wisconsin. Oh no, sure. no, 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 for sure. Michigan has used to terrible have roads. The largest militia <laughs> in the United States. Price. We got in trouble in the '90s for trying to assassinate people because we had such a large militia. The in '90s, you got in trouble in yeah, 2020 okay. for trying to assassinate. You have a giant organization of people with guns. That's cool. We have irresponsible people with guns. That's yeah. awesome. Have Wait, you been to Michigan? Yeah. You say Wisconsinites are irresponsible. Yeah. 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 Okay. Wait, okay. Bryce, you identify as a Wisconsinite? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. When did you move from Georgia? For the sake I, of I never this lived conversation. In yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I never lived in Georgia? We'll, we'll talk about it. Okay. After the show. But <laughs> I think that the Michigan and Ohio State rivalry came to a fever pitch in the era of Bo Schembechler and Woody Hayes. Like, there was no greater hatred than at that time. Ohio State still hates us so much that they block out all the M's in the capital during the week of the game like that's how much we hate each other so that's why i hate ohio state okay well that's fair i agree uh i'm moving away from sports for my number three uh just for the sake of uh comedy um (laughs) top three little pretext do you guys have you guys seen twilight the last saga at all Yep, uh-huh. I've yep. actually been where they filmed it. Okay, yeah. are you gonna get um, kicked off this podcast now, bro? What do you What do you mean? I'm just saying I hate Team Edward. This week oh, in my. church, <laughs> Pentecost twenty one. What? <laughs> Bryce, tell us why you hate Edward so much. Team Edward, because okay, so when I was growing up back in my day, I don't know anything tw- about it, but I'm definitely Team Edward just because you don't no, like Edward. No, also so you tw- just started. You're 22 years old, and you just used the words "back in my day." Mm-hmm. Yes, so back in my day when Twilight was a huge thing, all the girls less girl- than a decade ago before 9/11. <laughs> all all the girls in my class, like I, I've never seen Twilight. Okay. But all the girls in my class were raving about Edward and Edward because he's the vampire, right? He's the okay, guy that Taylor turns Lautner in. is way more attractive. Exactly. And that's why I went Team Jacob. And now, ever since then, I just hate Team Edward. 
Thank so. you, Bryce, for always bringing the extra spice to this podcast. <laughs> we do need to move on. No, we're already behind. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, this week in church, we're reading from Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. We're going to go with the ESV. Shout out Pastor Josh Rachi. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear? Would yeah? Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant to you. Dang it! I try so hard. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in sub. Mm-hmm. Yep, subjection. Not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because. Because of this, you will pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes is owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. A little different, a little off the beaten path for us, right? We usually go with something that's a little more abstract. This one's really on the nose, right? Um, So let's talk about it. What are we thinking? It's hard not to get down into the weeds of this one, especially in today's political climate. Let's just come out there and just say it because it's so diverse right now and it's so hostile and everybody has an opinion and everyone thinks they're right in their opinion. But when you incorporate biblical principles, even if it appears that the rulers that are over us don't seem to be following God's will or anything like that, they serve their purpose according to God's plan and his plans are more wonderful than mine. So that being said... We're in a unique position as Americans to be able to express our opinions in different manners uh, that are appropriate. But as Christians, our highest calling is to serve God. And if he commands us to obey those in authority over us, then it is a worthwhile and good thing that we ought to do. Yeah, we talked a little bit tonight already about Christianity being countercultural in a lot of ways. And I can't think of... A way that's a, a better example of that than than this right here that you know everybody has their piece to say about the government everybody has their piece to say about the rulers over us and what they should be doing differently and that doesn't mean that we as christians can't have things that we disagree with uh, the, mm-hmm. the way our elected officials conduct the government but one thing that we really can do that is so different from those around us is always talk about these people with a high degree of respect because of what this says here, that there is no authority except that which has been established by God. Um, And so to recognize that even people who do things that we think, how could you ever make this decision in some way or another, they are God's servant. You know, you hear some of the, the ruling authorities in, in the Bible that God even specifically calls them, you know, the book of Isaiah, he specifically calls King Cyrus, his servant, Um, Mm -hmm. not a, not a believer, um, somebody who oversaw some some terrible things throughout history, and yet, what is the point? God says, I'm going to do things that are still in the best interest of my people, whether that's temporally or whether that's eternally, we don't know. Um, but just the general principle there is something that can really, I think, give people a, 
a good impression of Christians that maybe they didn't have that, wow, they aren't just spouting off left and right about, uh, about the authorities. There is a, something a little different here. And one thing that I really appreciated is that in our normal course of worship on Sunday in the Wells churches, we have included the prayer that the government be uh, just and that they have laws that are just and that we're basically regularly praying for the government. And it never changes depending on who's elected into office. The prayer is never altered. We're always praying the same thing. Do God's will because that is the good thing to do. Yeah, I, I was going to bring that up. The idea of there's one, it's one thing to pray about the government. It's a whole other thing to pray for mm-hmm. our government officials. Let's do so by name, right? There's no, there's no reason why even those that we, there's no good reason why even those we disagree with um, should not also be receiving our prayers. In fact, it's probably the wisest and uh, most loving thing we can do. Us particularly when we disagree with those who are in authority. Mm-hmm. I think that someone could say in sort of in response to this in Acts when it is said we must obey God rather than men. I think I would, was that Peter? I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Peter and John on trial. Yeah. But in that certain situation, Peter and John were being told that they could not follow god they could not do things for their faith and that verse when people put that verse into this context that is not right because here in america at least we are not being told we cannot worship we cannot pray we cannot and i just sort of want to put that out there because that is a temptation to say oh the government's doing something i'm not agreeing with i'm not going to listen to them whatsoever i'm not going to follow i don't want to do anything to support them, but that's not true. You still have to support the government that got appointed over you, and you will support them unless they are strictly impeding on your ability to worship your God. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of opens up a different can of worms that we're not going to go into yeah, right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was, but that was that my bad. Certainly, no, 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 you did great. Uh, that is certainly something to keep in mind. I was kind of flipping it on its head with the taking it from the, the macro down to the micro, right? Uh, I think it's. I think we, as a church, and as a culture, need to address the way that we generally think of governmental authority, especially like police or like uh, officials in, within the government. Uh, I think we generally are not mindful enough of of those things either. Um, the reason like, he's not setting up a speed trap. Maybe he is setting up a speed trap because he needs to hit his quota or whatever it might be, but. As annoying as they might be, you know, speed limits are set up for our safety, right? and we give them that authority when we elect our government. Right? Same thing with, um, you know, drug and alcohol restrictions. Same thing with, I mean, the laws are in place for good reason, most of them, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they do fall under both the jurisdiction of the government to do so and the tender, loving care of our heavenly Father. And he is, like Bryce said, the representative, and Connor, actually all of us, said they are the representatives um, whom God has put over us in order um, to provide for us and take care of us. And we should not overlook that. We're at an hour and 25, so we got to close this thing out. Um, at the end of every episode, we like to tell everybody where they can find us, Holtz. So where can we find you online? Not really online that much, so you can probably find me on the... 
Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary uh, chapel file in a couple of weeks. I'll be up for, oh, I'll be up for cool. chapel there and the, the, live, the live stream oh, will be up That there. might be my new favorite plug. Yeah. Connor, where can we find you? Uh, Connor Herder at Instagram.com and then also uh, just Connor Herder on Facebook. Okay. Uh, my email is guse.brice at yahoo.com, guzzy.brice. And I guess uh, we'll throw my Instagram out there too, bruce.goose4. <laughs> It makes me happy every time. What? Your, your name, Instagram. Your handle. Oh, it's yeah. perfect. Yep. Yeah. All right. You can find me at www.girdupministries.com. Of course, all these links will be down in the show notes below. You can find me on Instagram as girdup underscore b underscore a underscore man. On Facebook as Charlie Ungemach. And as always, you can reach out through the website or in any of those spots. We love you, gentlemen. Sorry it took so long. I don't know why I'm apologizing to you. You could have paused it at any point you wanted to. But anyway, God bless you all. Go be the men God created you to be. We'll talk to you next week. On behalf of all those involved in producing, recording, editing, and distributing this episode, thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you'd like to contact us with comments, questions, or suggestions, you can reach out to us at any of the links in the description below or on our website. Please consider supporting the work of Gird Up Ministries by donating on Patreon, shopping at our online store, or making a $5 cup of coffee donation at www.girdupministries.com. Those donations help us make more great content just like this for young men just like you. Make sure you like, friend, follow, and subscribe to Gird Up and all of our guests on your social media platforms and consider leaving a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the Gird Up podcast so that others can find us and be blessed by our content too. As always, thanks for listening. Now go and be the man that God created you to be. We'll see you next time.